what's going on? Uh, not much. Just another day. Enjoying your, yeah, enjoying your day off. Trying my best. I'm such a happier person on my off days. You've even commented on that before. My demeanor and everything sounds better. Your voice does sound different. It always has. I think everybody's that way. It's, uh, I think (laughs) as you get to know someone, you get to know every little fiber about them. I don't mean in a physical way, unless it's your wife or girlfriend or other, but you get to know your, one of your other fingerprints which is kind of a weird way to say this, but a person's voice is their fingerprint, and the longer you get to know someone acoustically, I think you could probably tell before I might even be able to tell, like, you got you got a little congestion, you know, when you're always listening to somebody. Yeah. I'm just less angry when I'm off. I think work and driving are the two things that increase my anger levels. What about you? Duh. Um... Yeah, and I think this just bleeds over into so many ways. We could cut this pie of talking about maybe uh, anger, emotions, and how these are part of who we are. I think some people are addicted to anger, whether they know that or not. And I think that's part of addiction is not necessarily even knowing it. What's going on when you're mad? I was trying to do some research and trying to remember from education i always thought that cortisol was going up during stressful situations but what i was reading says that your cortisol level goes down when you're getting angry like testosterone and some other things were releasing but surprisingly not cortisol maybe i misunderstood the whole cortisol thing i'm not sure i know it's gonna be at an elevated state during extended periods of stress which that doesn't mean generic, you know, stress is any kind of stimulant in terms of like the medical way of looking at that. So I would imagine over an extended period of time, whether you are angry or you have whatever your emotion is, if you are above your steady state, then cortisol levels are up. And I don't know chicken and egg, which is the situation here. I, I too, I think was taught that cortisol is a way maybe of a coping mechanism during stress or is it just naturally a response to stress or do you remember i'm not sure i don't know if it's a response or if it's i don't even know what it does maybe it's released during stress because it yeah maybe it helps with the plasticity of the brain or makes it go back to normal or keeps it from being whatever it's involved in a lot of stuff i know that well it's i would imagine go ahead about you talking about being addicted like i could imagine so many things can affect the brain. If you're angry all the time, I would think that that definitely could be the case. Like, you know, the reward pathway and all that that we always seem to go back to uh, would have some sort of would have some sort of effect on that for sure. And that become if that becomes your baseline or your normal, so to speak, then that is part of that's how you look and judge everything, whatever your baseline is. And. I don't know if you've never looked at yourself or ever listened to yourself, which I know we talked used those verbiage before. You you may not even know that you're that person, or at least sound that way. You may not even be that way, but it may be part of your regular speech pattern or commentary that you weren't aware of until someone like regurgitated something you said back. And you're like, really? Kind of take yourself and digest what you have said in somebody else's uh, verbiage of you. Besides the scientific that we're talking about now, like, what do you think anger is? Like, it's 
I know it's, you know, and uh, it's your reaction to a perceived injustice, but what do you think it comes from? I have a theory, but I was wondering what yours was. Meaning like on a deep sort of primordial soup level? Sort of, yeah. Like why it even exists, why it would be there, what it, what's its purpose or what has its purpose Well, if become, you're being or, offended you know. or in the case of maybe a higher developed brain, the perception of being offended because oftentimes somebody may not mean offense, but you took offense to something. But to flip that back into this more animalistic way, it's definitely a defense mechanism because if something is offending you, and I don't mean emotionally and socially, but the act of offense, something on you, you need to be defensive or die. You know, whether it's, you know, if it's a rival mate, uh, you know, someone in a, in a thinking about like chimps or gorillas or anything else, if you don't respond to that, you may lose a mate. If you don't respond to so the this, angers, I think part of the it, fight or flight. Uh, yeah. It, it, well, in some of the uh, kind of cruising through a little bit of reading, adrenaline and norepinephrine are, are raised, blood pressure is raised. The, it triggers fight or flight when you are at a certain point in sort of the, I guess, the anger model. Uh, I think you can be angry without necessarily being in a flight or fight mode, but that's just part of the degrees and uh, what's the modern term we use for everything now? Spectrum of anger, so to speak. I guess, yeah. At some point in time on the tachometer called anger, there's a given switch where fight or flight's going to kick in. But it's not always, though, like a fight thing. I mean, I guess it's related to it in one way or another. It's not always, you know... A threat. It's just a perceived injustice. I guess they would be linked together in one way or another. But like its usefulness, like uh, the anger's usefulness. Because if you think about it, when somebody's mad and they start talking and you can tell they're mad, everybody kind of listens to them or, you know, you, it gets your attention for sure. Anybody that's mad, it gets your attention. And I wonder, I was trying to think, well, why is that? Why do we all kind of universally no matter what the problem is, uh, why the other person or the other thing is angry, you pay attention to it. I guess because it could end up being a threat. It's a potential danger situation. And, and yeah, and like when you are mad and when you yourself are talking, um, it's like you're kind of, the filters are off. You're kind of saying everything you feel, everything in, in a most direct sort of way. Like you're conveying more information directly without putting all the fluff or, you know... Unedited. Uh, cleaning it up, yeah. And I, I think some of that stems back to how we communicate in general, humans. Like, everything... Like I, we don't always say what we mean and mean what we say. Everyday conversation, whether it's with your boss or your wife or your kid or whatever, a stranger at the grocery store, you know, you're not always saying exactly what you mean and you don't always mean exactly what you say everything's reading between the lines which drives me crazy about about humans like if we were all robots and just said what we thought it would be so much easier but when in the case of anger i think it it condenses it down because it's either a, a, an important event going on or something where you have to say exactly what you mean clearly when you're angry or your body makes you do it and there's no time for reading between the lines. Yeah, I, I think in its in its origin, or maybe kind of in the wayback machine here, its function was of a value for survival. And I think some of the wires get crossed in our mind. I, I was just thinking of something you said, which was 
um, why do we talk between the lines? Why do we do that? And you were having to read between the lines. And I think that would be called culture. Maybe in some areas they, uh, you know, keep in mind, all you and I know, since we weren't raised internationally, you know, all we have is the North American, more specifically the United States, more specifically the southern part of the United States, is a cultural template. But I think upon uh, memory of people telling me that they've traveled, and I'm sure you, you know, and just the travels you've done within this country, and anybody you might meet from another country, they definitely handle themselves culturally in different ways. So, in a sense, it's kind of trying to prevent anger or misunderstanding, talking. Uh, you mean the like the, the, the <laughs> throttling, the down throttling? Of just regular speaking, like just normal talking. Like why everything is, you have to read between the lines with every conversation. Like what do they really mean? Yeah, I, I think it's me. a safety issue to some degree. Mm. Well, how it relates to anger anyway, I think... What we're talking about, just when you the filters are off, I think that's a reason. When somebody's angry and they're speaking, you don't have to figure out what they mean. Usually they say what they mean and mean what they say. Um, and maybe another function of it is after you've been angered at somebody and you've spoken to them and you've gotten your point across, do you feel relieved? Do you sometimes feel embarrassed? Most of the time. I know there's going to be examples of each whenever you're mad or you feel like it was... Uh, a positive outcome, or was it getting angry and saying what needed to be said? Often is relief to me. I don't know about you, but it seems like you know once you get that out there, so maybe anger is a mechanism of being able to communicate directly when you feel some injustice has been done to you, or is about to be done, or whatever. As far as how do I feel with my own anger, like or say, with someone else's anger? With yours, like if you were the angry party mm-hmm. and angry enough to where you had to say something to somebody, whether it was somebody cutting you off in traffic or somebody at the grocery store stepped on your foot or, I don't know, you were clearly waiting in line to, at the butcher to get him to cut you some steak and he broke in front of you and you really needed that steak for a barbecue because you told everybody you were having steak, they're going to come over and somebody just got in front of you, so you said something to him like, hey man, we're in line here, you know, or whatever the argument is, I don't know. Like afterwards, do you feel like, yeah, that needed to be said, like it feels, feels good. I don't know that I always feel good after that. Uh, I think perhaps maybe I did younger, but now I'm maybe overly um, judging and trying to understand people and myself. And I'm more hesitant now to express my emotions in general because I just see how so many people don't understand things or take things to a nth degree one way or the other way. And I'm definitely proceed with more caution. Uh, my 20s and teens, I think I would have been real quick to say everything I thought and felt in a given moment with no filter. And that did not always you, lead to good things. And would it be different if it was strangers versus somebody you know or somebody that you have to have a long-term relationship with? Like then and now. Like for me, it would have been the same when I was younger. I've been like you. I've been like this diarrhea of the mouth. No matter who the person was, but now I think if it's a stranger, I would be more likely not to voice my anger or depending on the situation. Whereas if it was somebody that you had to have a continued relationship with, voicing that anger, getting it out there, um, 
while you don't want to mess up the relationship, you may be timid at first, but I'm talking about once you get pushed to where you have to say something, I think that saying something to somebody that you have to have a continued contact with does feel productive to me because you get it all out there. They say their piece, you say your piece, and hopefully you come to more of an understanding with each other about whatever it is that's angering you versus a stranger where you'll probably never see him again. doesn't matter. It's not going to change anything going on at all. So the, I, I, I'm finding that interesting that you bring up the two, two options, a, a familial person, whether that's family, friend, or regular occurrence of a human versus probably these one-off things like traffic. And through the years growing up, I've had conversation with different friends and people about, you know, offending people and expressing emotions in general and anger being a, probably the biggest part of that. And it, it, it has interested me all the way back to then. And that's kind of why we're talking about it now. And that is there are people who fall on the line of, well, I, you know, th this is my family or my friend or a close loved one, whatever. I, I can't offend them because of that. And then there's right. the reverse of that. Whereas then the stranger is none of those things. Then there's the reverse of that where this stranger, I will never have a chance to make an impression upon them again. If I do that, that's who I am to that person. Whereas with family or friend, if I take the risk of expressing my true feelings about something and it could be really raw and anger and, and some resentment maybe, we've got time to make that work out. Meaning we're always going to be family. and So there's always going to be a chance to come back around. I've kind of bounced back and forth on which one of those I am. And I'm real hesitant with both sides, like I was stating earlier, more about just kind of being real careful and kind of reading the situation and trying to find more benign ways to express my emotions about things, which it, unfortunately that doesn't convey the right message because it's hard to convey anger in a real solemn voice and say, you know, that, that, <laughs> that thing you did really upset me. I don't know how everybody hears that, but I would imagine some amount of people hear that like, are you speaking with some amount of hyperbole or sarcasm or, or maybe you're being honest, but you clearly have gotten over it now because you sound very smooth right now. And I have worried more about initially insulting a stranger and, and severing that than I have family is usually how I'll fall on that. Because I, again, going back to my point on that is I think you always have an opportunity to fix that with family, but I can understand people who had the flip side of that. How, how do you, are you similar or different, or have you kind of been both of those? Yeah, I have been both for sure. <clears throat> but what I'm trying to zoom in on here is where you have, you've passed the um, uh, breaking point. I can't think of the word, but you've passed the point where you have actually, in, you were angry, so you have said something to somebody, whether it's a family member really i'm more interested in a family member or somebody that you have to have a continued relationship with afterwards did you feel that having that angry outburst most of the time made the relationship better um you know maybe gain respect for the person or like the relationship was strengthened more often than it was weakened um with the, the person that's close to you in your life when you've had an angry bout with them. I don't have... In my case, it seems like it's always strong. It seems really? like it strengthened it in the long run. Yeah, like depending on what was going on. Like, right. I mean, if you had... If I, it was somebody I never made up with or, you know, we didn't come eye to eye about things, then, of course, it weakened it. But most of the time, you you come eye to eye. With, I, think, I think it's a mechanism for that, for doing that. Like, 
Anchor triggers you to say what you mean and mean what you say and not beat around the bush. And the other person's the same way, so y'all say exactly what you mean, then you come to an understanding together. It's kind of how I don't know that I've experienced that a whole lot, to be honest, other than um, with my wife, who I feel like communication is the utmost, well, not communication necessarily, but making it right, understanding both sides means more to me in that situation than any other. So I would say the numerous times that we might have had a disagreement or this side versus that side kind of situation that I do think that is strengthened because there is an exchange of feelings. And my big thing with conversing and whatever the emotions are, depression, sadness, anger, or, or whatever, is I. it's just kind of the insides and outs of me. And that is I want everybody to understand to a T what I'm trying to say, whether that's some very minute instructions or some very complicated emotion that I'm experiencing, I'll, I'll, I'll talk at any length to, to get anybody to understand what I'm trying to say. It is a, kind of a sarcastic phrase. I need you to understand <laughs> me. I don't necessarily need you to like what I'm saying because I understand or sometimes, it, yeah. sometimes what you say or what you need to get out is not pleasant. So it's not like I need acceptance of the phrase, but I do need an understanding of that. And I think those two get intertwined together too much. And that's unfortunate because, you know, there's many sitcoms that are built on the idea of misunderstandings that lead to this, to this, to this, this. And then you have all these variation of events that happen. And I try to prevent that at all costs. And usually the over explaining of things causes a little bit of irritation on the other side. I just I can think of so many examples where I've had a an angry bout, whether it's with neighbors or with coworkers or with uh, patients or customers at work, where we've had a disagreement. And there definitely are examples where I never cared to be around that person ever again. Um, but there are so many like where somebody just chewed me out about something. We'll say at work, or we'll say it was a patient, mm -hmm. and then like we I say my piece, they say their piece, and we. Maybe we don't part like as best of friends right then and there, but when I see them again, it's like we're best friends rather than enemies. Like it, I have so many people who, and I have neighbors that are that way too, where I've had problems with neighbors. And then I don't know if that's like a fake thing or whatever, but I just take it for face value because I don't have time for permanent anger in my life. So if they're nice from then on, they're a lot better than they were before. I just I can think of so many times where I've had an, an angry outburst or episode and. Afterwards, the I guess because maybe there's better understanding, the relationship was better after. I think it is definitely a person-to-person -person, uh, event. And by that, I'm trying to say it's so weirdly sounding, but that I can think of them just flashing through min memories as you're talking about that. And I'm thinking of times where you're right, this probably strengthens something. And then there's other times where it's like nothing really happened there, and they might remember that. And it may not be a positive thing. It didn't really so, change anything one way or another, but possibly towards a negative. Yeah, so at the very minimum, we can say that it acted as a filter. Either the person, you either came to some sort of understanding or it allowed for them to be permanently exiled from your daily routine or, you know, interpersonal relationships. I can think of one example of in a work situation where tensions became such that 
and I consider myself one that this is by no means am I prescribing this as a proper way to do with things other than just self-admission right now. And that is I would just shove things down inside of me because I don't know that every little uh, in life needs to be voiced. I don't know that every discomfort or every shortcoming where you've been shortchanged needs to be told to the shortchangers. That's just my belief. I'm not saying that that's correct or proven or anything. That's just my approach. And I, I got to a point where it's like, nope, I can't do this again. And at the moment of the shortchanging ending, so to speak, I just kind of popped without even a whole lot of calculated phrases and things. And it was all done, you know, professionally, meaning, you know, no foul language and it wasn't done to inside anything. It was just literally a response to what was happening. And basically just asked, you know, how are you going to remedy this to the offender? And I got this sort of dead look in the face from them. And then both of our faces got red as we got deeper in the conversation. <laughs> and ultimately, you you may be right on this example as far as some things got strengthened after that. Now, the behavior changed in no form or fashion. But I do think in a weird way, it might have strengthened the relationship. Um, it, yeah, that's what it seems like. It enabled me ways. to do some really weird things in my own head after that is that you realize people are people and you realize that there are things that are changeable in humans, but you also find out that there are things that can be changed, but in certain people, it's just not going to happen or they're going to need really, really think about, you know, if you've ever had a, a professional relationship with someone as a patient customer or God forbid your family or friend who's ever been an alcoholic or drug addict. These are always the extreme examples, but they apply here. Those folks need to hit rock bottom. Nothing you can do. I mean, you can always let them know you're going to be there kind of thing, but there's nothing you can do that ever will remedy anybody getting out of addiction. At least, I mean, that, that was my training. Uh, I imagine that was the training you had, and I have people who have been there and are in recovery, and they agree with this. And so... There are certain things that can't be changed for someone unless they see the change. So I think that's the case with the situation I dealt with is that they'll never change, but the relationship changed actually for a little bit for the better. And I just learned, hey, this is a this is a minus here about this person, and it's just what I got to deal with. I mean, I can choose to get angry every time, and I can choose to have outbursts every time, but ultimately my happiness is more important than whatever else. And that's when I took a different way to look at things. What about bosses and I don't know, just authority figures in general. Like, do you think you look at an angry one as somebody who's more powerful or more able to do their job better? Or I'm not talking about somebody who's just angry all the time, but somebody, I'll say somebody who gets angry and Versus somebody who never seems to ever get angry, who just is smooth and just floats down the stream. And of of those two types of people, to me, someone who just is smooth and floats down the stream and doesn't ever show like anger over anything, I don't know if they're as, they don't seem as competent to me for whatever reason as somebody who might, I don't know, maybe it's just because they don't show emotions is how I think a human should. <laughs> I think every now and then somebody should get angry sometime. Um, do you do you look at people who, in places of authority, like your boss or a cop or whatever, 
angry as more competent or less competent or 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 does it matter to you or i mean i know everything's an individual uh competent uh, i don't necessarily but... look at competence in, in association with the expression of anger or calmness but i do look at effectiveness in a boss scenario i don't think i think all right i'm going to create three possible bosses you have the one who seems to be angry a lot and verbalizes it a lot. You have the exact opposite where you have someone who is um, not uh, voicing anger, if ever at all, who's, who seems to be, I think you put it like, they kind of just talk smoothly all the time. And then you have something that's more of a blend between the two, which is what I would think is the most effective and kind of what I would want to strive for. At times, I might overshoot and kind of shoot to the smooth side because I, I think I came from a more frustrated, angry young person, not for any way I grew up or anything, just part of my personality, I guess, that I want to not always look like that. So I might overdo the smoothed out part, but if you are, you might become less effective because you're not showing teeth when you really need to. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, and that's what, like, yeah, showing teeth when you need to, like, like, no matter what job I've ever had, you didn't want to make the boss mad. You either did something so they wouldn't get mad, or when they did get mad, you did what they said. Like I was saying earlier, when when somebody gets mad and starts acting angry, everybody pays attention to them. So maybe that's, we're trained somehow psychologically when someone's showing anger to know to listen to them and they mean what they say, and you, you know, do it, you, you pay attention and you know exactly what they mean, and you do it. Um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, just like famous, uh, maybe not just bosses, but famous leaders in general, like people throughout history. I'm not saying they're good leaders or bad leaders, but people who could who could take a crowd's anger or, I don't know, a country's anger and use that to make themselves powerful. I mean, look at all the people who up there pounding on the, at the microphone, you know, up on the podium and who have gotten somewhere by like showing, expressing anger that maybe that he thinks other people, he or she thinks other people feel how far they've gotten, like how Hitler did it, how anybody has done it. I think Barack Obama did it. He showed the frustration with people like the hopelessness and it helped get him, get him elected. And of course, Trump has done it. Um, he made other people who felt marginalized angry, and they showed up at the polls. Uh, there's just something to be said about a person in power being angry. Like, how many famous leaders do we know that were just known as just, you know, nice guys, float on, cool man? Like, I can't think of really any. I don't remember. And some people, their voice and their face are, are different. I think um, current president. Uh, Donald Trump, when he's angry, it seems to be very evident. Um, I don't remember, not saying it what didn't happen, but I don't remember, I guess, just enough time. I don't remember uh, Obama being angry and it looking the same as Trump. So they both had a different kind of look, I think, when they were angry. But look, thinking back I to— I definitely think he was tapping into people's anger, though. No, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that, yeah, I think that parlays into another thing. And but as far as them being angry or showing anger, they may have harnessed it. But I think the, the there was maybe two different or a couple of different approaches as as far as how they were addressing it. But then, like Ronald Reagan, you know, do you remember the famous speech that's you often taken out of context? But like tear down the wall, Mr. Gorbachev. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, was that the most angry that he sound? You know, you and I were never his aides, so we don't know what real anger looks like. And who knows in speeches, like, what is put on and what is real. But there is the portrayal of anger, which is at least what we can comment on because it's what they're showing us. And I think some people do uh, think that that harnesses a, a get-things-done kind of movement. Um, and in the workplace, I think that's effective to a point. But if you're always the tea kettle blowing steam, now I, I, I as an employee under that person don't really know what is a high-value target and what is just some regular everyday nuance if you're always blowing steam. At the same time, yeah, if, you're, if you're always mellow Joe, how do I know what you've really put in bold and underlined and put in all caps to put this in a texting kind of way? It's really hard to tell. Uh, I think, yeah, like the work um, example, if you're always angry, you're like a boss at work, then it's just like, well, they're just always mad. Like it's, it's, I think the leaders, like when you talk about country leaders or not necessarily presidents or whatever, people who have like Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X and whoever, they have tapped into a, a perceived injustice that people have. And, you know, I'm not saying it's not there, but it's in any case, any time of thing is perceived, whether it's real or not, um, they tap into that, turn it into some sort of indignation, you know, and that, and they use that as a driving force for social change, like you tap into someone's anger to um, further along whatever it is they're trying to further along. Well, I, th I definitely agree that anger can be used to mobilize whatever, whether it be the... Uh... I mean, this whole country was founded on anger. Everybody was mad about um, taxation without representation. Right. Like it's a, they get tired of being ruled it's a over. Reflection of, yeah, it's a reflection of, I don't know, like just in general of the bad hand they were dealt in life. Like, you know, as colonists or whatever, and they, they, so they wrote the Bill of Rights to not be what they were perceived injustices under the king. Was it George King George? Yes. I think correct. Uh, so the whole thing is, I think, this, this country in general, you could say, is rooted in in perceived anger towards injustices or indignations. Yeah, we were started by a bunch of angry people that didn't like the way things were, and it, we're, we're kind of the same now. So getting to, yeah, so but getting to where you're talking about people being addicted to anger, I think that's kind of, um, kind of a, what, it's a it's a product of constant bombardment from cable news networks or uh, I mean the social media feeds because they've taken that whole um, anger that thing that these social leaders or just political leaders have tapped into and they found a new way to do it and and monetize it by making somebody stay angry all the time they're going to tune in and listen you know like oh they're so mad and these people are they're they're on my side anger so people tune into whichever hate news organization they and i don't mean hate like you know like racial hate but this right. just it tips into somebody it tunes into Political somebody's hate on what yes like msnbc versus fox whichever side you're on you tune in and watch it because they're tapping into that perceived injustice that you're feeling. And they just constantly, constantly, constantly keeping it angry. I was reading a, an article about it and um, it said, where was it? In 2012, 
Um, MSNBC devoted about 85% of its programming to opinion and only 15% to news. And Fox was the same way. It was like 55% was opinion programming and 45% was news. But who knows how they even categorize what was opinion and news. But that's what they do. They've monetized this anger um, for their own benefit and to the detriment of everything, to the detriment of of uh, freedom itself or um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Democracy. It's Because, you know, whether or not these perceived injustices are real or not, they have real outcomes on like political elections and policy writing and policy making. Because we all know it goes back to the squeaky wheel gets the grease. So if they're constantly harping about one thing all the time, it's going to get the most attention. Yeah. And, and that's a big, it's a big subject because there's a lot of money there. Yeah. Um, there's no particular order here, but all the things that you fired up, bringing that up, YouTube. Uh, I've heard this actually talked about in a few podcasts that I listen to, and that is the algorithms of YouTube and Facebook. They they both use them. And if you are fancied by anger and or something that's in opposition to you and it generates anger, whatever the mechanism there is, we're not going to deep dive any of that. As interesting as it may be, but just surface for this conversation the um, algorithm, it will keep bringing back to you what you interact with on videos yeah. or on your Facebook feed that I've heard some of these guys on some of the shows or some of their friends have done experiments. One guy created a YouTube account, you know, you know, hey, you sign and log in, a, a brand new one that hadn't, he hadn't used for anything. And he, all he did was look at puppies, videos of puppies, 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 puppies. And you know what he got suggested? Puppies. More puppies. More puppies and more <laughs> puppies. So if you ever uh, were investigating a news story, um, let's let's say you, you didn't vote for Trump and you wanted to investigate something that he was alleged to be part of and it was something slanted against him. And, and you looked into that video and then you're going to get another video that they're, it's stuck to puppies. They're going to assume you like that because you looked at that. And then you get that right. over and over and... As far as I understand and has been explained, at least openly, no, no one from Facebook ever goes into all the who's it's and what's it's of how they work, but they're the same way. Like you're going to get your friends' quote feeds, but you're also going to get things that are either whether it be from your friends and tend to be that way or just those plug-in things that are all that. So if you interact with a lot of things that are anger-related or could be viewed as angry, that's what's going to get thrown at you. And then it just kind of feeds that beast that lives inside of you of you, you versus them. And it just goes on and on and on. And if you're someone who's not aware of that, I think this thing can just grow to be your idea of the world that simply is not. I mean, those things, those things are elements of the world, but it's not to the sheer magnitude that you think it is. Yeah. Like no matter what it is, whether you watch it with somebody sitting there watching, uh, Fox News or somebody um, uh, listening to like a a clan leader, like, oh, they're after the white man. You know, you keep listening to that over and over and over again. You start to think, well, that's how it is. And to all you ever do is, and it could be the other way around too, like um, civil rights leaders, the not like, you know, Martin Luther King or any of them, but some of the more modern ones that it's their business to drum up 
anger. So you keep supporting them and listening to them and watching them. That's their business model. And and if you fall into that trap and you don't know that, then you're just going to be an angry person all the time. And it's it's going to just be a snowball and it's constant. I get to where I couldn't tell you the last time I watched uh, news of any kind, really. I know the broadcast news, I think it's supposed to have some kind of regulations, but I still don't even watch that. Well, I'm I don't so know when you're going to find the news now. News. Because of what you right, said, think, you broke down those percentages. Right. I find that it is hard to find someone saying, today a plane went down, this many people were on it, in this country and this bad thing happened. This sports team won. You know, it, well, you were talking about the face of anger and all these things before we started this, and I'm listening and thinking of what I'm going to say. I thought back to news as a child. And going from 70s, 80s, and then 90s, I remember now part of this, I'm, I'm a little swayed because I wonder, you know, how much is because I'm a child. Um, it seemed very boring. I mean, it was just like drab yeah. and it, because it was just the telling of events. Like, well, today, a lot of people got up and got ready and went to work. A lot of people went to school next. You know, that's not that exciting. Yeah. But if, <laughs> but if you start spinning this around and say, let me tell you what so-and-so did today. This is unbelievable. Watch this clip. And you cut and you clip things and you, you're already p pandering to a crowd who's already part of your team, which is part of this giant problem anyway, which is something we'll discuss another time. It, it just goes on and on. It's more interesting. So more people are going to tune in or click if it's an internet-based or mobile device-based thing. And that's, you know, everybody's out there to make money. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's why you and I show up at work. But in terms of uh, journalism and reporting news, what it once was is not what it is today. And I want to plug this. We, we have no affiliation with him. And it would be nice if we did. But on Joe Rogan's podcast, I believe it's episode 1386, Matt Tybee or Tabey. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. But he's a journalist. And I'm not sure what age he is. I'm going to guess by the way he was talking and his commentary. He's probably in his 50s. So he saw this go from reporting on things that have happened to this sort of anger thing and reporting like what people want to hear and all that. And it, it's, it's kind of sad to hear kind of the timeline of what journalism is and news. And he talked about how certain um, agencies or industries of this, that they, they want that. They don't necessarily want just facts. They are looking for, you know, how many clicks something gets. And the more clicks something get is probably going to related to some emotion. And just reporting on sunshine and clouds or a volcano and things doesn't really generate a lot of clicks in this world. So anger does so. exactly, and that I mean, it, it, was, it, it was interesting to hear that confirmation from someone who works in that environment. That it's not just like, am I looking at this backwards wrong? Like you never know from your own point of view until you start listening to others and seeing others' points of view. Is like, what's really going on? But back to what we're saying. Interesting. If you don't know that you're part of this algorithm and, and you become entrenched in the idea of the world's out to get the white man or XYZ thing that someone believes, then you're trapped in that hole. And that's just how you go through your everyday life. And you probably even project yourself based on what gets reinforced. Yep. And it could be anything. We're just using the white man as an example because that's what we are. But it could be anything. And it seems 
more than anything else, the cable news networks use anger. But you're right, it happens on even local news. But I don't think they focus on anger as much. They focus on anything that shock value or whatever will get them watches like two teens die in a tragic car wreck and blah, blah, blah. Because that's what gets views. People want to tune in and look at it for whatever sick reason. But I think the cable news in particular uses anger more than anything because it, it keeps people tuned in. There's some sort of feed in your mind that keeps you just on it and on it. And if you can't get away from that, like they've tuned into people's ideas of either why they're a failure or why they are where they are. It's not their fault. It's the system has failed you. Like you, it's not your fault. And, and, and er, it's the system. So we got to fight against the system. And you're like, yeah, it's not my fault. It isn't my fault. I, it is the system that screwed me over. And they keep watching that program because it's, it's, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It just it's, reinforces uh, their ideas. It's reinforced them. Yeah. This reinforced like they're, or giving them an, a, a way out of their own shortcomings. Like it's not their fault. It's the system's fault. And you see that with all sorts of things, but in particular, um, they tap into your anger at where you are in life and just keep watching. Like, you're right. That's, that is why it is. Like it is the, whatever, whatever they're selling that day. And all these agitators that are out there who make living doing the same thing. Um, they're just professional agitators. Just tap into somebody's perceived moral in injustices and just feed it to them, spoon feed it constantly. I don't see how people can stand to sit and listen to it for so long. This makes you feel like an angry person all the time. And I don't know, maybe this, maybe it's an addiction. Like you said, your body's gotten used to the, it's fired off their um, dopamine pathways. I'd read in one article preparing for this. Uh, I can't remember. I didn't mark it down because I wasn't going to, I didn't think it would be. Um, brought up, but it said that the brain, I don't know if it was like the uh, brain um, waves or uh, maybe it was like, well, they, you know, have an image of the brain when it's firing. It was very similar when you're angry and expressing anger as it was when you're experiencing joy. And I thought that was really interesting. It's something to dive in and look at. So, wait, say that one more time. So it, it was, it was greater response to anger. It was just, it just looks similar. Okay. Like it was similar to when you're experiencing pleasure. I would say. When you're angry. I, I, you may have heard this quote, but uh, I'll ask you the question. We'll see. We'll launch it from there. What's the opposite of love? Hate, I guess. That, a common answer, but <laughs> it's usually referred to actually as nothing. Hate is just kind of a mirror image, kind of going back to our chemistry. Hate is more like the mirror image to love but not necessarily opposite. It's still on the same emotional track, if you will. Whereas the opposite of love would just be like apathy. I don't, I don't, you know, hmm. I don't, yeah, that, I what that's what saying. some yeah. you know psychological folks will say, which I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer to that, but it's definitely a different observation. It makes me think, okay, uh, it, because love and hate are both a passion, which that makes sense to me. Whereas the yeah, opposite yeah. of a passion would be no passion, which would be apathy, which is, I guess that's kind of the take they have on that. And so if you're kind of feeding into the same, you know, not necessarily feel good center, but a branch of it, so to speak in the brain, I can see where hate just becomes part of a cycle now, because I can't see anybody being part addicted to anything that, that you know, that has apathy, you know, there's nothing there. It's like, what what would be the draw to that? But hate and love have a pull to it, you know, sort of a tractor beam, if you will, versus the absence of emotion. 
So it's, I don't know, it's something, I think the love that everybody wants and needs, and I believe every person has some amount of need for love, I think that hole is getting filled with anger because it's sort of a, we'll call it the passion pit, so to speak. And if you're filling that passion pit with uh, more servings of anger than love, yeah, the hole is getting filled. And you're going back to it regularly, the, the news, the clicks, the whatever. But there, there is, uh, you know, it's, it's like that old phrase, you are what you eat, and you become kind of bitter and angry. I, I think if you consume a, uh, this would be a very interesting experiment for us. I don't know how we could do it. But if we could, 24 hours or seven days, try to like just focus only on things that are pleasant and lovely. And refuse to to give in to take of at least at the best of our ability anything that is hate related, and just kind of report like, all right, this this is over. How do we feel? What do you think? You think they would have any effect? I mean, I, I mean do you believe oh yeah, what sure. you eat is what you become? Kind of thing in a, in the metaphorical. Yeah, state? I mean, how many how many people do you know who have cut off social media and they say they feel so much better? It's I think it's because it happens of that. all the time. Like just sit. Us just sitting here talking about anger, like I feel you're getting fired up, aren't you? Yeah, I feel like, <laughs> uh, but not like I, not in the way where I want to go fight somebody. It's just like I want this to be over. I'm done. I don't want to feel angry. Like you know, I don't like it. But I know so many people, and like everybody makes fun of the people who watch uh, <clears throat> Fox News constantly. But I know people who do, and like they can't stop watching it and it's like stop it or or MSNBC and they they can't you know to be on both sides like at every opportunity they want to post some kind of hateful thing about Trump um or Obama, always bashing whatever, Trump they know, don't do anything else is. yeah it's just like it's like okay can we did you see where they um opened that new trail down on the river wall that's kind of cool i mean boring you, yeah but i bet did Trump anybody get killed down, down there bleh. <laughs> yeah, did somebody right. die down That's, there don't know, tell me about these things you know it would have been twice as good if except trump blocked funding to it or or you know or whatever or yeah, that's some of that. Our taxation, Obama. You know, did you see? You saw it was part of the tax relief. What was that thing they did when Obama at the beginning? It was, I think, Bush started it, and then yes, Obama continued. I can't remember what it's called, but you see it on bridges and stuff from funding and. Right. But, but my my thing is, people can't get away from their anger towards whatever. And what I'm talking about is these parks that were created from the was it the Recovery Act or something. Um, that they would bring that part of it up. And it's like, can't you get away from it? And I think people need to take a step back and realize that you're letting this anger be in every aspect of your life. And I don't know that it's good. And I don't know that if we're going down a pathway, we can reverse with it if too many people are that way. And I think it's getting to where a lot of people are that way. I I like to think of myself as one who just doesn't bite on every shiny hook that's dangled in front of my head. And I like to vet ideas and, and comments and things like screen time, screen time, screen time. I have two young children, and it's often said screen time is bad because it just feels good. And I think the idea of uh, autism being linked to immunizations started with the same kind of idea. For one, <laughs> there was a guy who purposeful and has admitted that he, you know, lampooned a bunch of data to make it look like that's what happened when in fact that is not what happened but it just yep. looks like oh yeah yeah that just that makes sense you shouldn't have this many shots in a day and that, yeah there are more people I, I hear of having autism now so yeah it's got to be that well 
There's also more screens now than there ever were. Are we associating screens with autism? I haven't heard that yet. Maybe that'll start today. My point of that is, anytime I hear any kind of, oh, this thing, and then the you know, corollary equals causation thing, I'm like, eh, is there science there? So I don't know. Are screens bad? I don't know. So much screen time bad? I don't know. But here's the one thing I do think is a truism that might go in line with that. The screen will always bring you that stuff, the anger stuff, if that's if you keep letting it. So in that vein, mm-hmm. from the time you wake to the time you lay down the screen and shut your eyes, if you're allowing anything that's got you know political or anger or anything negative in it, and I'm not saying you should live your life Pollyanna, uh, we should be informed with what's going on in the world, but if you are eating too much of that, yeah, this is definitely where screen time, and I mean this even for adults, is a bad thing. You're you're not allowing yourself time to process the day because you're just jamming more in. But besides that, what you're jamming in is just bad. If it's true at all, I mean, there's a good chance a lot of it's falsehoods and narratives and, and people's opinions, but it's just not wholesome or good. It, how is it uplifting anybody or changing their life in any way more positive? Right. And especially if you're just doing it, watching it, I think they get a feel of, well, if they watch it and they take part in the ingesting of the anger and the negative media, that somehow they're affecting change and they don't actually go out and vote or they don't actually sit back and say, well, what's the real issue with this policy and or whatever it is they're trying to make you feel angry about? You're not really being productive. You're just sitting there being angry. You're not yeah, maybe you'll go vote for a certain person in the presidential election, but what really is it? You know, like they, I think they get some sort of satisfaction. Like if they ingest it every day, somehow they're affecting change and you're really not. You're just sitting on your couch or laying in your bed or whatever it is you're doing, ingesting this negativeness just makes you negative. I don't think it, you're not really helping anything No, for the most part. And I, and I think so, it, in some minds and at least in appearance i'm not trained in this but just an armchair quarterback psychologically speaking um i think it invades part of that uh, earlier we were speaking to each other about the um, maslow's motivational model and the hierarchy of needs the the base mm-hmm. layer being physiological needs food water warmth shelter rest the next layer having security and safety i think right there is where this wires itself in <clears throat> whether it's being told to them in the pitch, meaning from the angle of anger mongers, or subconsciously the uh, listener does it themselves, but there is this perceived notion of needing to be aware, like this this is coming. You know, they're coming for your guns. They're coming for your rights. They're coming for on and on and on and on. on. So that wires into that safety needs, which is layer two. And if that's not good enough for you, layer three, which is this belongingness and love needs. This goes right back to what I said earlier, where love is kind of the reverse wires. You know, you change the red and the black wires around and you have the polarity shift of love is hate. It invades the third layer. So you have your possible second and third layers being, you know, hardwired to these negative emotions being able to ever get to that top of Maslow's self-actualization, that's never going to happen because you keep getting tripped up with the hate, the hate, the hate. And you, yes, you have this belongingness, but it's just a constant hate circle. And I don't know how you grow other than you grow more angry. And I don't know that you can ever get to that point where the top is usually characterized as someone who wants to 
reach their full potential. Um, there's lots of different ways it's said and, and different creative things. If you're just lost in an angry loop, I, that to me is a ceiling, a false one, but it is a ceiling. <sighs> there's different. So you think maybe these people have substituted the needed in that pyramid of needs, the love part, which is, I don't know what's higher up on the thing with, with anger or hate, if you would. Hate and anger, I think, are different things, but they are. The, the anger is the is the is what we're trying to talk about today. It's the underlying thing which leads to hate, I guess. But I think there's a kinship in the hate groups, like you, um, because someone ha- hates the same thing you do. You have a sense of belongingness there, so there is a camaraderie amongst the people that yeah. are against this team versus that team. There's definitely a. Um, connectedness between all the people that either want to wear a MAGA hat or want to burn a MAGA hat. There's the connectedness between those two crowds of the commons. And I think that kind of artificially meets their needs on that level. But as you climb the ladder and you get to things like prestige and feeling of accomplishment, uh, I, I don't know that you can really continue upward. But that needing to feel love or part of something, which is like, uh, kind of what your, what a family is or a community is. I think um, maybe we're kind of peeling back the onion. The more we talk, I think about it out loud, and that is there is a false sense of family or community that is created because these these other angry people think just like I do. Yeah, let's get the pitchfork and shake it in the air and all scream and yell. What do you think? Right. Yeah, I mean that's definitely what makes a group a group of any kind because it's, it's a common thing. I guess if you're using anger or hate, if you would, as a common thread, then, I mean, definitely it exists. I mean, that's the basis of it. It's a shame, but it's true. You're less apt to also check yourself once you get to that point. That, to me, is the dangerous part, is being part of a group or an artificial coalition, if you will, is once you're part of a herd, it changes you whether you want it to or not. Have you heard about the studies of... Uh, and these are real life. These weren't projected things. Their case were she was either raped or murdered both in a large city. I want to say New York just because it's one of our biggest. Um, I can't remember the exact details. I didn't realize we'd go down this trail. But the all the passerby, you know, things just went on while this happened. Like people walked by and things happened because a lot of different reasons. Some people thought, well, someone's already notified authorities. Some people thought. Well, you know, that can't be real because no one else is doing anything. All these things that just keep going by when you're in a group that if you were in a one-on-one thing seeing this, there's no way you would react the exact same way. But when you're part of a big group, it changes the way your brain works, positively and negatively. There's cases where bar fights. Uh, I can't remember the phenomenon, but it's the idea that violence can be brought out in people that would not have been in a smaller setting or in definitely lesser numbers or one-on-one setting, but because these things can be contagious and you can kind of feel it in the air if you've ever been around any kind of big outbreak of something, that it just takes over people and their processing is not really happening during that. Hmm. That's interesting. I I bet that's related to the whole um, group sickness thing too, uh, like mental illness. That would be interesting to look up, like just group group think in general. 
Yeah, it's uh, interesting, and, and it's good to know that when and if you're ever in, in scenarios that are part of that, when you're walking on sidewalks in some area, no, you are subject to this. I mean, these things are have been tested in some mock settings and not just these cases where horrific things happened. And then they would interview, you know, they'd grab people, you know, and, and tell them about, hey, this thing was staged. What were you feeling about when you saw this person? And then they would do it in a different setting where there was a smaller crowd and whatever did or didn't happen. And then they would interview all these people. And it was amazing how their random public had different thoughts about things just based on how many people were around them. Just, just that fact alone, which is, to me, frightening. Yeah, I wonder if it's because they think there's more people, somebody else will take action, or if it just has to do with group thinking, that just because you're in a group, you think differently. It would be interesting to know. And, you know, you can't, you know, we're, we're talking about anger in general, but there there's different, we've kind of went more down the hate speech way than, than anger in general with talking about the news organizations and whatever, but there's different types of anger. There's like at the beginning, I was kind of more speaking about um, just personal anger for a situation. Whereas there's an anger for when you feel an injustice or societal anger. Uh, But in any case, I think we've scratched the surface on this a little bit. Um, It definitely could warrant more, more talk, but uh, hopefully we haven't angered too many people. (laughs) <laughs> like I was saying earlier, just listen to this. Now they want to turn it off because they're mad. It's because they're talking right. about anger. Well, and I think it's triggering you, something in your mind. Yeah, it is one. Um, it's a very condensed way to express oneself because of the filters yeah. and maybe some other things that I just can't comprehend. And but for whatever reason, when you're angry, it cuts to the chase, so to speak. And if you're angry enough. There's not any of this, I'm having to read between the lines. No, no. You know exactly where that person stands that's angry about the events or you or whatever. And you're hearing it, you know, unedited usually because of the anger. So there is an, there is an element of positive to it. The anger emotion itself, I don't think it's a bad thing. It ain't something that, that you want to experience all the time. Willfully, I don't think, but but people do as we were alluding to for the last half hour, but um, it definitely has its place in our emotional existence. It's just part of being a human. And it, 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 like you said, it definitely, the, like, like I was saying earlier, like you just said, it's a dense form of communication for sure. Like it, it, you get everything across. I can't think of any other example. That's, that's like that, whether it's, I guess when you're excited, you might could do the same, but they're they're kind of maybe third cousins. I don't know, but still, when you're excited, sometimes you get blabbermouth. But when you're angry, usually it just comes straight out and punch. You know, it's a it's a it's a strong punch of emotion or of thought or of expression. Right. Kind of a loud first. Than draft. any other type of yeah, than any other type of emotion. Whereas excitement may just be blurting out a whole bunch of stuff you're trying to say. Blah 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 blah. Love definitely is not that way. Maybe when you're angry at over something over a lover maybe but definitely it's it's a unique emotion that people are and have always tapped into for their own benefit maybe not for your own do you ever look at anger as a positive and i don't mean in this abstract way where where we're just talking about it your day-to-day life does it ever help you get through something for i mean 
I'll go first and say I can harness frustration uh, for workouts, for example. Um, There's a dangerous line to play with, but I have kind of either churned up an idea or an experience of the past, or I could tell you an exact example without getting into too many details of uh, once upon a time, Ironman training and, and had a training partner I rode bikes with, had a day that was, it was a really frustrating day at work, some frustrations with coworkers, and you can take that and you can go do things with your body, swim, bike, run, chopping wood, whatever it is you want to do, that I frankly think you can't always just do. Now, I'm not saying I can become Michael Jordan if we were playing basketball, but you can make yourself either push a little harder or go a little longer or both if you've got a little bit of anger to put behind something. I don't, I'm not saying that like it's a good idea, and I'm not saying that any other way than just reporting on doing it, that there's times where I've felt maybe tired or kind of eh in my workout that I almost wished I was a little angry for the benefit of the workout. Yeah, I mean, have I ever used it? Not wanting to, but it definitely has. I've never gone and done physical activity more because of anger. That's just not something I do. It's not something. You think it makes you more productive at work? Like get more things done per second or minute or whatever you're measuring? Sometimes, yeah. Like, oh, like if they've insulted, like, oh, like it makes me mad. You just work more focused. This one article I was reading out of the Atlantic again. Um, said that it says that anger can help motivate you and undertake difficult tasks. It says we're often more creative when we're angry because our outrage helps us see solutions we've overlooked. Found that interesting. I've tried to think of examples. And, you know, maybe I have had a few aha moments when I'm angry, but I don't know if, like, they made sense after the anger was gone or not because then you start um, uh, weighing all the wells and the consequences of this or that but they seem more at the time clear um but yeah definitely like when someone said something at work that's that's made me mad so well you try to get more done so you work harder and you work faster and you're focused on it and you're always thinking about it i try not to work that way because it's what you just exhaust you i think it uses up all your um neurochemicals and transmitters and it's kind of like somebody who almost like somebody who's abusing the dopamine through drugs like when it's all gone said and done you just feel wiped so i think it it, it can do that i don't think that it's necessarily good to do it though. i think that's partially why as a society we're more tired because hmm, we're more angry uh it's a factor uh i, I like to um, look at things and kind of break things down and i have uh, come to the conclusion that most of the time there is not just a, all right, here's the end result. Um, Sherlock Holmes, how are we going to solve this? Oh, that led to that. Rarely. It's mostly like uh, a stew. Well, what led to the stew? Now, there's a lot of things in the stew. You can't just say, oh, it's the meat. No, it's the, it's the broth. It's the vegetables. It's everything equals the stew. So in the quote list of factors or ingredients, I, I do think the tired America is one, the overuse and abundance abuse of energy drinks. But I think this is a circle. So oh, we're just yeah. we're just pointing to a part of the circle. And in this circle, I think of being more emotional is more draining. And when you're more drained, you're more want to tap into more coffee or a monster or Red Bull, or whatever. 
and then you press and you press and you press and then uh, you know you do this on and on and on and on you're just wiped out and i think that's all part of the factors as to why we're more tired than we seem to have once been is because it's like the old saying we're angry all the time burning it at both ends yeah we're burning the candle at both ends with a blowtorch underneath the candle and just going going <laughs> going 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 and then when we finally stop or take a vacation we're wiped out and we don't have anger to run on anymore or adrenaline and we we just don't perform the same but in, in back to the workout thing I think that done carefully works. Um, I don't know. I'm not, you know, I don't think I suffered from it and it didn't necessarily happen all the time. But on that given example day, my training partner at the end of the day was like, man, what is wrong with you? You you really just slammed it today and just left me in the breeze. I'm like, yeah, I had a bad day at work and I wanted to leave it out here on the trail. I wonder if it's because it makes you focus because we said before that, it's a dense form of communication or, you know, you say everything you mean without a filter, but maybe it, it like they all, you always hear like sports people saying play and angry, or they give them bulletin board material before a game. And maybe the anger helps you focus in ways that other emotions don't. And maybe that's good because of um, the fight or flight. I mean, you need to be focused when you're angry. I mean, fear is a different thing mm -hmm. um, in the fight or flight, but I guess if you're the aggressor or, or attacking someone, you get angry about it. it, it it's got to have something to do with all of that. And it'd be nice if I was a psychologist and, and knew all these things, but it's interesting either way to think about it. So I would think that, yeah, to answer the question about the workout, it would it probably has something to do with that, I would imagine. It would imagine it would have to. Like it, somehow it makes, makes you focus in on the, and, and keep, all, keep you ramped up for whatever activity it is you're going to do, whether it's go play a football game or run a trail or, uh, put up 700 boxes of Mountain Dew on the shelf, <laughs> whatever it is you're I doing. I think you can break this down into a step-by-step -step thing. I want you to think back to the last time, whenever that was, that you laid under a bar and were doing a bench press. And you get to that point where you kind of got the jello arms and you're like, this is all I got. But if somehow, some way, in that moment, you could muster a year's worth of traffic frustration and however it is you feel in traffic, whether you want to scream, yell, honk the horn, tap somebody with your car or whatever, if you could funnel that into those arms and chest muscles that you could push just a little bit harder. I think that's kind of that way that you funnel anger in. I don't know that it necessarily kept me more focused, but you know there, you know that wall of pain, whether it's doing uh, bicep reps or running or whatever it is you're doing. You know, you, you are pushing against the resistance, right? Whatever, whatever the exercise mm -hmm. is. And that resistance gives you a sense burning sensation, if you will, that you will only go to the point that you're willing to accept, right? Like you're only going to mm -hmm. run as fast as you're willing to accept that amount of pain. Well, I think anger enables you to go one more notch past that. If that makes any sense. Well, you think it's just because of an adrenaline dump that's associated with the anger? I mean, you think that's all it is? I don't know. Or could be? I don't know. I, I think that's definitely, uh, that's happening if you're able to do that. I think you can use adrenaline to your advantage in that situation. But I think you need, I, I, it would be really interesting to hear like detailed interviews with high-end professionals 
sports uh, professionals as to what anger does to their performance. Because I do think a lot of them perform angry, but whether it's at the other team, at their self, um, or whatever artificial target that they've got to put inside their head, um, I, I think you are, you know, punching someone else's metaphorical punching bag when you're XYZ sport. Right. That would be interesting. But then what I would want to do, I'm always wanting to peel back a little bit further. I would want to know why, though, and what was the physiological process associated with anger that made them able to, like what, like what, what chemicals are being released in the brain and why does it affect it that way? Because that's the explanation I would be after at the end of the day, other than just saying it was just anger. Like, well, what does anger do? What is it causing? What is it? We could find this out doing two ways. physiologically. One, it would be just what you said, but also if we also just understood the uh, what the barrier was. By that I mean, like, why why do you not run a four minute mile when you run? Why do you only run an eight minute mile? Well, it goes back to what I just said. Is there's a certain amount that you're willing to put up with, and I think you that gate is changed with anger with fear, with mud. I mean, I have been in a ultra marathon, uh, with a good friend of mine that had done the same ultra marathon before it was a trail run and it's 37 point some odd miles or 60 kilometers. And at I want somewhere in the neighborhood of about six to eight miles to go, there's all these stops in these races where you get more water, get more Gatorade, get more snacks or whatever. You, sometimes there's even a bathroom stop. And both our spouses were at this stop, and we were topping off our fuel and getting our water and whatever little things. Maybe I ran to the bathroom, and we were separated for a moment, me and my running partner. And my wife says to me, if you don't pick it up, you're not going to get the finish that you want. Meaning, in this particular race, if you didn't finish within this given time frame, you weren't going to get the award, so to speak. You were going to be moved to another class, which was going to have a different kind of award, which was viewed as a lesser thing without getting all the details. Right. And I'm like, no, that's not an option in my head. And I will tell you, at that moment, at that stop, we were in pain, just as everybody is who's ever done any of these things. And anybody that listens to this, there's plenty of people that go beyond that and do that much better than me. This is just for illustration's sake. But I was just in that pain cave, as they say, and it wasn't feeling good that day. Your whole body just aching. Now, I have new fuel in the form of anger and disappointment in myself. And I tell my friend, I said, hey, bud, we got to pick the pace up. And I, so I am meaning I'm not running away from you in terms of like the, a personal thing. And if we get separated, this ain't a personal thing. We need to pick the pace up or we're not going to be part of this finish that we plan to be. Let's get it on. And we took off and we took off at faster than we were. And I know we were both hurting because we've been sharing that. And somehow, some way, see, n no magic. We, we, we weren't infused with any bags of our own blood that was oxygen rich. We didn't have any kind of dope to push in us to make us overcome that. But we had this ceiling or at least false ceiling up until that point of that stop. Some set of words changed that ceiling for me emotionally that now I was able to go beyond. I mean, because I, I was just done i wasn't quitting but i was like i can't really press any harder right now this is just where we're at and it hurts and somehow i was able to go into another place because of that consequence and 
I don't know physiologically, because I know you're kind of wanting to get into the deep science of norepinephrine, epinephrine, you know, what was going on that enabled you to do that? I don't know. But I know that situation verbally enabled me to go to some other place and stay there until I finished. Do you think fear would have been similar or just probably not? It as started as fear. Because I was immediately afraid that I was going to not for from anybody because no one cared but me about that exact outcome. My wife wasn't going to make me walk home. She's fine whether <laughs> I get that medal or the next medal. She doesn't care. She she just cares that I'm safe. So that's all she cared about, and I was. But I, I for you to be happy. I was incredibly disappointed in myself. So it started as fear. Oh no! Oh no! I'm not going to get this thing I set out to do. Immediately, stage two, I'm mad at myself, and I'm not going to let this happen if I physically can change this situation. So I strove to change the physical situation, and I did. Don't know that I could have done that had that moment not have happened that way. Hmm, sounds like you were on your way down the dark side. Oh, I was living in a dark hole. It was a bad place. <laughs> now, I will tell you, for anybody out there who who's pushing their stuff for these endeavors, that will not always work. Because sometimes the math does not work. Sometimes your body will refuse to heat. Yeah, heat maybe the you call. don't. You don't. Yeah, you just don't have that. Whatever it is, dump. Like I've been there. cut from a race oh. before because I did. I could not muster anymore. That was all I had. And because of the time restraints that are in each segment of that race, they said, "I'm sorry, but you're done." It didn't matter how mad or how disappointed I was. I could not generate any more power, and that was just the end of that day. So it doesn't always work. But I'm glad to know that I lived through that one day where it did work, and I don't know. Hmm. It's uh, it's interesting to experience things that you just can't explain. I think. I, I wish I could explain to you, this is what was going on inside of me, and I was able to push the buttons inside of my human body and make all these other things react that I could not facilitate before that. But just the way I said it is the way I can say it. I think that Yoda would know. Sounds well, like he's lived seven hundred years. He's probably ran a couple times. He's probably been afraid. Seven hundred, of... seven or nine or something like that. I get it confused with Gandalf. So he's an old fella. Yeah, when because you know the whole fear leads to anger and anger leads to hate and hate. We're, we're in a Star Wars episode now. That's how you mm -hmm. become the dark side. Mm -hmm. That's what I was saying. You were headed down the dark hole. Fortunately, when the race is over, you you get back on the right side. But or you lay in the hotel room and vomit and go into a seizure. Or and then you have to go to the emergency room and you have exorbitant bills because of that, which is another race <laughs> and another story for another time. But you've you you circled it around and didn't even really mean to. And if you think about the social media, the television, and all that, and you're just anger, 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 anger. In a weird parallel to Star Wars, uh, yeah, what color is your hat, as they say in the old westerns? You become what you hated. Yeah, or you, you be, if you keep being part of this anger cycle, you are definitely not going to be part of, quote, the good side. If I keep talking about anger, I'm going to become angry. That's unfortunate. So Can we talk about happy and love? <laughs> you think that'll manifest the same thing? Or will that make some angry? That we're switching gears. Yeah, so I think abruptly. then that would that would that might make me angry too. With people who are happy all the time, I think I got a theory about that. You like think it's a lie. 
What? That people are, are happy, happy all, the all the time. No, I think I know people who are that way. And maybe it is covering something else up. I don't know. But if you can be um, uh, deficient in neural transmitters and therefore be depressed, what happens when you have too many? Are you an angry person? Are you, I don't know. Uh, one of these people that's like the happy guy wears too much bling from office space I mean why is he that way are they really what would it happy? take to make him angry are they portraying happy or is it a show I don't know that's a whole another episode we could talk about hmm. maybe a more productive one happiness and the illusion thereof the illusion of everything is anger an illusion I don't know, I don't know. it's usually palpable you can feel it in a room <laughs> you can smell it in the air well, some people say we live in a hologram, so if they're right, then the simulator. does it all matter? That Feels too. very real, if that's Neo. the case. I'm, ang- I'm angry at the simulator in that case. You're a battery. Maybe they get more juice out of you being angered. Maybe that's what it is. You're a battery, and the more angry you are, the more energy they're getting out of you. Well, that was true that day on the trail. Agent Smith. I was, a- I I was able to there. muster more work. I don't know that we solved anything. Well, so what's the what's the what's the take home message if if you had one for somebody who was sitting here with us? Don't let anger be ingesting. Yeah, the, constantly ingest something. You'll become what you hate if you if you do that. You'll become, or you'll become something you don't want to be. Like just be aware. People are tapping into your your mental programming and your perceived injustices to uh, your means to their ends, which isn't always in your benefit. Be careful when people are harvesting your anger or hate for something that you think might be productive. Uh, Cause in the end, maybe it's not, I guess is what I would say. And I don't know that every element of it, in society, in social media, and any media. I don't know that it's ill-intended, meaning the intention is to promote anger. I think they're just uh, promoting what they think. Other, it's a circle. It, it's what they think people want to hear. Maybe I'm wrong. I've been told I was wrong about that before. I think, no, no, they want to anger other people. But that, that backfires at times. Because if you anger people, it doesn't necessarily just start um this angry notion that lives with inside them you can start movements with that and let's say in a political side you have this side versus that side well when you anger the other side from you what you might have just done is mobilize a force that now will overtake you and by that i mean in votes yeah so or anything being insightful is not always in the best interest of your cause how they get going initially um like um who was uh who was the fella in the 60s in in um california with Jim the Jones? migrant workers no no it was caesar chavez who he started that movement um i'm not sure it was because of the bad working conditions or something for the people in california working on the farms i think they were great farmers actually he started a movement um, to try to help them, and eventually, and he always preached nonviolence, but eventually it got violent, and they started like 
sabotaging trucks and burning down things. And he had to go into a fast for like weeks and weeks um, to stop the violence because that's not what he wanted. And eventually it did tailor a taper hmm. off when he was fasting. But that's one thing that all these articles I've read always come back to is you have to be careful with when you're using anger as a tool, it can get away from you. You have to keep it, um, have to keep it under control, I guess is the best, best way to say it. I would say that would be a great lesson for individuals to take in, but realize at times you may be subject to that. And that is because of what you are consuming. You may or may not realize that you are, but you are being subject to that. So meter what you're putting in yourself. This guy Grands in this article that I was talking about earlier in the Atlantic put it this way. He said, for anger to be productive, at some point it must stop. Victory often demands compromise. You have to know how to arouse passions to fuel the fight and then how to cool everyone down so they'll accept the deal on the table. Yeah. You you ultimately haven't won if you remain angry even after the race. It's like a race that never ends. Chavez, his quote was, you have to control and direct the passion or else it can burn down everything you've worked so hard to build. And I'm not sure if people understand that right now. And that was in the 60s. And I think that statement can be applied at any time and especially right now. Yeah, that would be a a pretty good lesson for everybody to kind of soak in is to think about what they're passionate about and think about how that moves them and what that's doing to their emotions. Same as always, self-evaluation is priceless. If you want to read that article, it's on the Atlantic. You can probably just Google that. It's called The Real Roots of American Rage. It was written by Charles Duhigg, Duhigg, I yeah. think. Yeah, D-U-H-I-G-G. Mm-hmm. I've heard it quoted before. January, February of... Uh, was it last year? 2019. 2019. Okay. Yep, The Atlantic. I think we used that in another... Not this... I wonder how... Maybe I have to subscribe to The Atlantic. Find their articles interesting. They are. What was that um, episode? Do you know for sure that you were talking about with Joe Rogan? Thirteen eighty six. I'd like to listen to that. Uh, episode okay. thirteen eighty six. Matt, I think it's pronounced Tybee. T A I B B I. Um, November. Is that recent? Is that November sixteenth? I like twenty nineteen. Okay, I like Joe Rogan. I try to listen from time to time, but I'm not ever caught up. Yeah. Does he do one like every day? Uh, he does. He records multiples at a time, so I don't know what his release pattern is. But within a given week, you would definitely get a handful i don't know that he does say seven in a week but it seems like three or four 1386 that sounds uh like a meaningful number for some other reason i don't know that i could not tell you i don't know i don't know it says uh tybee is a journalist <laughs> and author he's report reported on politics media finance and sports and has authored several books including the latest hate incorporated why today's media makes up makes us despise one another Sounds like he's uh, he's probably exactly roped it all into one book that we could. He also, I think, he writes for uh, Rolling Stone. I was about to say we could just say it sounds like he knows. We could have just said really read his book. We could. <laughs> well, maybe I should have uh, listened to that. We'll give him a call I, uh, and have him on for a quick interview. And that's his opinions and thoughts. We could plug his book. He'll probably just say listen to episode thirteen eighty six of Joe Rogan. That's that's quite possible. I may go do that it, it right was a now. What about you? But yeah, you watch what you're being angry at, and if you're angry at all, it's uh, it's a useful emotion. It can help you get through a workout or a race. But um, 
it, it can hurt the other people around you. And if you're hiding behind what you really need to say, and that's creating anger, the, the, the lack of connection in what you need to say is more of the problem, but often the, the people on the outside are not able to help you communicate that because maybe a fear or distance that they're creating because of the simmering pot that you're showing. Mm-hmm. Everything in moderation. For sure. All right. Till next right. time. Try not to remain angry. Seen a bunch of run down no horse towns where the church is the backbone.